Gentlemen, such an honor, such a privilege to have both of you on the stage at the same time. Um, obviously, the technology ecosystem needs people like yourselves. Um, I think between the two of you, you really are able to facilitate and accelerate exactly what we need in this country from the money side, of course, with Panjana and from the commercialization aspect with Yusufwan. I think there's a lot of stuff to get through and we've literally been inundated with questions from the audience, both physically and virtually. So but let's start off with getting some context in terms of where we are as a, as a country. I mean, it's been, it's been literally a quarter of a century since uh, Tun Dr. Madhya, um, you know, gave, gave uh, fruition to the idea of a multimedia super corridor way back at the Technology Park Malaysia, which is now, of course, Maranti Park, lah, right, in Bukit Jadil. Um, where do you think we are, um, hand on heart, realistically, honestly, where are we in Malaysia on the technology roadmap um, versus our peers? I think maybe we'll start with Safwan. Uh, let's get the show on the road. Thank you so much. Assalamualaikum. Very good morning. Thank you for inviting uh, Maranti here. Um, on behalf of Zulera, warm regards from her. Yeah. Um, in terms of um, sort of like a sit rep, kind of like a, um, uh, introduction. Um, in terms of where we are today, so um, I was just reading in terms of our Global Innovation Index. I'm not sure in terms of whether we look at it in a positive sense that we are staying put, <laughs> but we are certainly not moving up. Yeah. So yeah, I mean, in terms of we are at level 30, number 36, I wish we could have done better. Yeah. So I think in terms of, um, in terms of growth of ecosystem, definitely uh, much more vibrant now in terms of the startup ecosystem as opposed to where we were when we started off with uh, the MSC Malaysia Initiative. Yeah, back then, there was even no, uh, no magic, yeah, no Maranti. Uh, I think in terms of we have, we have, you know, I mean, um, we have our, two years ago or three years ago, people were complaining, where's our unicorn? Yeah, and then suddenly we have custom and nobody ever talked about the unicorn anymore. Yeah, but uh, again, if you look at our neighbor in Indonesia and Singapore, we are far behind. If we say one, they say nine. Another one say 20, right? So, but are we measuring in terms of ourselves, in terms of unicorn? I have to, so, I have to also share that in terms of ecosystem-wise, I am proud in terms of what I'm seeing now, in terms of the collaboration. Uh, as mentioned earlier, I think uh, part of the responsibility of the agency is not just talking about our own programs, but also you know put ourselves in the shoes of the entrepreneurs, the SMEs, and the startups. It's kind of confusing, isn't it, guys? Yeah, there's so many agencies offering so many different kind of programs with all different kind of funds. It's just right there in front of you. You can see it, but you can assess it. Yeah. So I mean, it's it's kind of like a lot of the time. Um, I spend a lot of time with. Now, outside of the agency shoes, yeah, some of your personal friends to me, I spend time with them to understand what is the true scenario out there. Yeah, so I think in terms of to sum it up, we make some advancement, but not to say that we have done uh, with what we need to. Certainly, a lot more need to be done. Um, again, from an ecosystem build perspective, visibility of nature in terms of where we are, in terms of uh, and the technology that we are pushing forward. Funding is another matter, but I think I, my esteemed friend here will cover that part of fun. Yeah, I am talking about the F-U-N. He has the D 
in the fund. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Tafik, where are we at? Thank you, uh, Su Chuang. I am uh, deeply grateful for the opportunity to be heard, given to me today. I am extremely excited to share this platform with you, Su Chuang. And you know I am a regular listener to your podcast, uh, hosted by my good friend uh, in the industry uh, from CIMB, as well as also my newly found friend uh, from Endeavor. And uh, in the presence of all of you, uh, the dreamers, the doers uh, in the ecosystem, in particular, Datuk Sharyal, and you know, Su Chuang, I mentioned to you one of the best episodes I've heard from you. Um, so I'm extremely excited to be here today. Um, and um, I look forward to these honest conversations. You asked me to give a context. Um, and this is uh, one thing that I've learned in my life, uh, just about turning 38. So relatively new in the journey. Uh, it's not about how you start. So you mentioned about Malaysia mm, making headway with MSC in 1990s. But the most important part is how much we have progressed progress since then. And this is where the disappointment starts to creep in because we haven't made enough progress. And there are a few gaps that still need to be filled. You mentioned about the funding gap. We still have about the supply gap of ecosystem and entrepreneurs. So if you ask me, it's about the progress and we are lacking behind. In terms of funding, let me give you context. We created agencies in 1990s to spur venture investments thinking that venture capital is our solution towards catalyzing innovations. But we haven't progressed because our venture capital and private equity is only about 14 billion. And how much professionals have we nurtured in the past 20 years? According to SC, it's only 344 registered professionals with more than four years experience. Where are we relative to our peers? We have 9,000 more, 9, more than 9,000 investment professionals in the private market in South Korea. We have more than 20,000 uh, investment professionals in PE as well as VC registered track in Singapore. In terms of GDP, we have about 0.1% to 0.2% uh, of venture capital relative to our GDP. Where are we compared to even Indonesia? 1.2. Where are we relative to the developed market like UK, which is not even the leaders in the pack of uh, uh, in terms of venture market, 8% of the GDP. So we are still lacking behind. You ask me whether we have made progress? No, unfortunately, we have not. Well, that's very, that's very honest and very candid, uh, Taufik. But obviously, it's, it's an entire structural framework. It's, it goes beyond finance. It goes beyond supply of capital. It's also incumbent upon the entrepreneurs themselves to step up, right? So, so it's all about, as you say, Taufik, it's not about how we start the game. Because if this was a chess game, we're still in the opening stages, as you say, right? In the first salvos, maybe the first 5 to 10% of the game, it's all about the mid-game and then the end game, right? Um, technology is still very, very new in, in Asia, Southeast Asia specifically, right? Where, where do you think, because if we're going to try and pull up, pull up our socks, right? Where do you think are the... Um, the fruits that can be plucked at this stage. Maybe Safan, because if, if you can give us, you know, the Maranti, kind of you've been MDEC as well. You've seen, you know, you've seen it from the private sector of DHL. You, you've been back, you know, we've all been around the block a couple of times, right? Where can we pick up the fruits and, and really take it forward from here? I think in terms of, um, we, if we speak about culture, one thing that I've observed is that we still have this fear of failure, yeah? that is prevalent among 
not just startups, not just entrepreneurs, but it's just that we, we don't celebrate failure um, you know, enough. I feel that, and I've been with uh, some of the, the startup groups, and, and this is where they make fun, yeah, I failed, yeah. But the more important thing is, is you pick yourself up, you move on, learn from your mistake, yeah, and try a new avenue in terms of, you know, what different angles can you try? Because if you believe in, in the problem that you're trying to solve, I think I tested this just now with Wafi. The first thing you asked in terms of, I'm going to start the startup, say, what's the problem that you're going to solve, right? And unfortunately, it is not unique to startups. We speak the same thing with researchers as well. We feel that, you know, um, they normally come to us and say, I got this darn good product. Why nobody is buying the product or the solution? So normally I'll pause, you know, to give the impression I'm thinking. And then I'll ask, when you decide to craft this product, who was the customer in mind? And normally uh, get a longer pause from the other side because that, hmm, yeah. So there you go, right? Sometimes we, we are not clear, we are rushed we rush into developing the product and solution without a clear understanding in terms of who are developing it with, what's the persona, yeah. I mean, the same thing I'm seeing at startups, entrepreneurs, at, uh, even at the universities, the researchers, um, the other agencies that we engage. I'll be very candid here as well, right? Although I represent government agency, but when I look at agencies, again, I talk about the number of agencies that we have, the kind of uh, the programs that we have. I do have to be critical in terms of the agencies themselves need to work better together as well in terms of to understand what the other person is offering. So we spend a lot of time. We just visited Sirim the other day, the other day yesterday in Shalam. They have 25 buildings, 2,100 researchers, right? They have a lot of equipment, a lot of expertise, but we're not really harnessing that yet. Yeah. So I think this is where I think that we really need to step up in terms of agencies per se, need to step up our game in terms of need to collaborate better with other agencies, need to get all of our you know, pedestal and go down to the ground, talk to the startup, talk to uh, the funders themselves, yeah? Because a lot of them have this expectation, especially when you talk about those who want to take out in the product, I want a complete product. It doesn't happen that way, you know? You got, you, you, you got to meet halfway, yeah? Understand in terms of what is the product for, and then customize it together, define the market, and then find a way in terms of how to push that product into the market. Yeah, I think that's a fair point, Safan, because when you look at America, the fear of failure is non-existent. You know, um, the fact that there are startups that come and go, and then, then they just pick themselves up, and then they go again, and then they go again, and they go again. And there is very little of that social taboo in America where failure is not frowned upon, whereas in Malaysia, it's a big face thing, right? Oh, your, your son failed you. He went bankrupt, and that's it. Go back to employment. It's, 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 it's very endemic in Asia specifically. Um, but we also see that aversion to risk among the money people, right? Topic, and I'm just put this question to you as a generalization, because um, unlike in America where VC money, angel funds are very, very um, cognizant of the risk, they are quite willing to put money into 20 startups and just see one succeed and be happy with 19 failures. I mean, look no further than Masayoshi Son, for example. He's not American, but I mean, his failure rate is, is quite admirable, you know? Um, the money people in, in Malaysia tend to be also quite risk averse. Is that a truism necessarily? There are many um, inferences that you can make from you can make from those numbers that I have outlined at the start of this conversation. Um, when you talk about capital funding, there are two uh, two things, right? Availability of capital and accessibility of capital. 
I'll try to get back to this risk-taking because you need to understand this risk-taking activities is a result not only about the availability of capital, but also how the capital is um, uh, uh, formed, the capital formation side. So I mentioned just now the size of VC and PE uh, market in Malaysia is roughly about 15 billion. Um, I hope everyone in the room knows the size of equity market. I'm pretty sure um, you know Sophia and 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 um, Ruzi would know. It's about 1.7 trillion. So what does it mean? We have a lot of capital, but it's not a risk capital. Sorry, Taufik, repeat those numbers. So private equity venture capital money is 1.7. No, 15 billion. 15 VC billion. And P. VCNP yeah. versus 1.7 trillion in, in public, public equity, equity market. Which so is obviously investment into mature, mature So that's companies. below 1%. Exactly. And even then, if you look at the equity market, it's relatively small because it's just about one time of the size of GDP, right? Compared to the US, where the equity market is more dominant, unlike Europe, unlike Malaysia, where debt market is more dominant. So debt as a capital is not a risk capital. So you need to understand availability of capital. Yes, we have a lot of liquidity in the system, but they're not necessarily supportive of innovation. They're not necessarily supportive of risk-taking activities. And you need to understand how this capital is formed. Like I said, we have a bigger debt market compared to equity market. And even within equity space, relatively small for venture uh, capital. So that is the state where we are currently, right? Now, you talk about risk taking activities, it's bigger. To me, ecosystem needs three types of capital or resources. You need financial capital, you need, of course, human capital, and you need network capital. That's how um, you know, innovation ecosystem works, right? You need, to, you need to leverage on partnership, collaboration, which is essentially network capital. And network capital, to me, the soul of network capital is risk taking and risk sharing. And you know when it comes to finance, we deal with one big problem, and it is called information asymmetry. So why you are not taking risk is because you are not sure. right? That's why we have intermediation. That's why we have the bankers, because as individual depositors and savers, I do not know who to lend my money. I'm not good at making credit assessment. I leave it to specialized professionals who do this to solve my information asymmetry. I don't do as individual investors, maybe Dato' Sharil and some of the angels here, may be doing very well when it comes to due diligence and do investment directly. But most of us cannot take that due diligence. So we rely on venture capitalists. We rely on fund managers so that we identify investment opportunities. This is the problem because, one, we don't have that many professionals who knows the market. 344 registered so far. So it's not enough. We still have information asymmetry in the ecosystem, in the market, even though we may have huge supply of good entrepreneurs and ideas. We just can't spot them early enough, fast enough, quick enough, and appropriately value them. So we have another bigger problem. Even if we find them, we have high cost of capital because again, we have information asymmetry. So when you have a cost of capital that is high, at the start of your journey, what does it mean? You are closer to failure than success. Because you are obviously constrained by the amount of capital available for the next round. So my point is, risk-taking is at the heart of it. 
but there are many issues that we need to solve. The intermediary side, the risk-taking, the risk capital, as well as, like I said, eventually, we need to build an entire network and ecosystem. Sounds like a mammoth problem, Taufik. How, how do we address it? How do we take a constructive approach to solving this puzzle? So uh, that, that's why Penjana Capital was formed. Uh, I can be very honest with you, and Penjana Capital was formed is very much initiative-driven. We just want to fight COVID. So it comes under Punjana Fiscal Package. Punjana is all about propelling businesses. We started with Prihatin, putting Rakyat first, thinking that next month we're going to announce Punjana. But of course, a lot of people say not enough for SME. So we have Prihatin SME as a stopgap measure. But we are working towards supporting businesses in, in, I think, in July under Punjana. So how do we craft the Punjana Fiscal Package? We know, okay, what support do we need to give to large corporates? We gave, a, a, um, what do you call it? a guarantee scheme under Dana Jamin, 50 billion. How do we solve the small and medium enterprises? We give soft loan, we give subsidized credit, we give, uh, we give grant. How do we solve micro, we give grant through Prihatin, uh, Grand uh, Hus Prihatin or JKP. How do we solve when it, uh, startups? So we realize we can just give grant, we can just give subsidized credit, uh, subsidized loan, but it is not sufficient because we are not a good agent to appropriately value risk. So we need a VC to do that for us. So that's why our, our intervention was through a venture fund, uh, venture investment, which is a fund on fund. So that's how Punjana was formed, very much initiative. As we progress, we realized that, hey, it can be catalytic, and it is a critical um, uh, so-called ingredient for, for future growth. So that's why we realized that we need to put more effort in terms of supporting a venture market in Malaysia. We realized we don't have a venture market that is vibrant in Malaysia. Like you mentioned, you know, roughly is dominated by government agencies. If you look at the statistic, how much of the VC market in Malaysia, about 48% of those capital comes from government agencies and government, about 20 plus percent comes from sovereign wealth funds. You know who. So it's very much dependent on government and you know government has a fiscal constraint. So that's why you need to actually invite a private sector participation. And you know there's a huge amount of capital available in the market, but they are in the private sector. So you need to entice this private sector to come and invest and undertake or uh, undertake risks. So this is why the government comes with a fund-on-fund -fund program with matching commitment. The government says that I will match every dollar that you put in a venture fund on a one-to-one -one basis. So that's how we actually um, you know, uh, come up with this Dana Punjana National Program that is currently administered by Punjana Capital. So to answer your problem, we have uh, several structural interventions. The government knows that government needs to be more active and be more strategic. So this is some form of the government intervention thus far. Budget 2023, because we had this chat, uh, do, we, do, we need, do we want to talk about budget that is not yet passed? There are a few signals coming from this budget. And as much as people mentioned this is a Rakyat's budget, this is an election budget, there's a populist budget. If you do a comparison, this budget has more to say about venture investment and startups. 1.3 billion earmarked from the government through developmental expenditure for venture investment. That's big compared to last year. Bigger, in fact, in recent, in recent budgets. Uh, we have a dedicated intervention through sovereign wealth funds, which is essentially a government asset, uh, mostly from uh, uh, Kazana to Dana Impact, which is allocated for targeted sector, so that you know we don't have that much capital, so when we invest, we want to create multipliers. So if you notice, some of the sectors 
currently, uh, you know, being uh, championed by the government is actually uh, agri-tech and food tech. And it's clear in the budget. We also use DFI, another avenue uh, uh, within MOF ecosystem to champion venture investment. Agrobank, um, uh, Bank Pembangunan, all have a dedicated venture investments. If you notice from recent budget, in budget 2023. So these are some of the government intervention. Government realized we don't have much firepower, but it must be targeted. And it must solve structural problems, i.e. private sector participation in risk um, 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 taking activities in the country. So we know that capital is very um, efficient. It can be very efficient and has been very efficient, right? As you say, start topic, seven out of every $10 available for venture funding in Malaysia comes from a public sector not enough from the private sector. Why is it so thin? So is it, is it because we don't have enough ideas here? You mentioned edutech, you mentioned food tech, agri-tech, right? Um, okay, for your point of view, Safan, because you are in the trenches with the, with the in entrepreneurs, right? What are the, for example, the five most critical areas that you're looking at that will attract these funds, not necessarily from the public sector, but from the sequoia capitals of this world, the KKRs of this world, the Andreessen capitals of this world, you know, this is big money. These are literally very, very clever money. The kind of money that we want to have in this, in this country. What are the areas that will attract this kind of money, Safan? You asked me for five, I can think of only one. But I think the major one that I can and think that of, one is? The, 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 the one I can think of right now is big funds looking for companies who can solve big problems. And that's something that I don't see enough. Yeah, a lot of the startups that I have had the opportunity to work with, um, solving problems that, uh, although it is presented or it's pitched that it's, it's, it's big, but when we, we discuss and then the, the problem is still, still very focused, very, very, very localized. Yeah? And I think this is where uh, if those are local problems, it can't be expanded to regional and global, you won't, I don't think you'll be able to attract the global funds, yeah? the interest of global funds. I was just looking in terms of just now when Tafik was mentioning in terms of you know the, the, the role of Benjana, um, something that I, I also need to, to highlight is that um, what we see is that in terms of commercialization, yeah, the, the purpose of, of, of the, the startups, the entrepreneurs, the founders in this room, I think you set up the company not because for the fun of technology or for the fun of setting up companies or for the fun of chasing grants, yeah, I don't think so. Well, I think it's just because you are driven by a bigger problem that you want to solve, yeah? And I think in terms of when we talk about, you know, and, and in order to solve those big problems, you need your product and solution to be effectively commercialized, adopted, yeah? And I think this is where we felt and we saw there is a big gap in terms of that, that value of death that exists between that TRL, four, five, six, or three, four, five, yeah? And this is where in terms of most products and solutions or most research do not get to the market because it died in that valley of death. And again, this is the reason why Maranti has been brought about because Maranti, again, for those who are not familiar with Maranti, it is a combination of the agency previously called Magic. Yeah? Uh, it's been around for 2014, focusing on startups and startups ecosystem, as well as Technology Park Malaysia. Well, it's been around for about close to 26 years, yeah, with the intention of, becoming, uh, of a global science park. And then you have also another agency which is not really mentioned, but we brought the expertise on board, which is Platform Ventures. 
Yeah. Uh, was closed uh, in uh, 20, uh, 2020, 2020 December because the charter ends there. Yeah. So with the combination of the expertise and the program understanding of the ecosystem, it forms Maranti with the intention of accelerating technology commercialization. That is the intention. Yeah. And I think this is where the, the role that we play in terms of how do we accelerate we accelerate, I think, um, early on, I did mention, we need the ecosystem. Of course, we need the funds, yeah? We need to be, be able to harness the research that is currently locked in the universities. And this is one sore point to the government as well, because they spend billions of dollars in terms of funding research, yeah? And then between RMK9 and RMK10, although we have grown our research output by 4.5 times, I think it is still only 8.3% is commercialized. So you get a value in terms of how much money that the government spend and how much is it getting in terms of return back on investment. Yeah, so it's very easy to lament the fact that we don't have the example of a uh, company that built a global music platform from a country of 5 million people. I'm referring to uh, Spotify of Sweden, right? It's easy to lament that and we don't have people who don't dream big and, and solve global problems. But do we need to? Because we live in the middle of ASEAN, and ASEAN has 650 million people. Combined GDP, about three and a half, four trillion dollars nominally GDP, right? It's a very big captive market, which is very, very nascent. Do we need to solve global problems? Because as you say, Safar, I mean, we've got universities that pr produce global, globally competitive research that, ha that is sitting in the dungeons waiting to be commercialized. I'm what just, is holding that back? I'm just going to jump back. Um, I think... If we run the take back, I did not say global problem. I say big problems. Because I think big problems is, it, it exists in any country. Problem regarding food. Which country does not face food security problems? Problem regarding health. Which, which country does not say it doesn't have a problem with health? Similarly, education. It's just that we need to be able to frame the problem in that context. I think because we are talking about what your point is now is to be able to attract big funds. Big funds want small returns? No, they want big returns. And you can't have big returns if you are so, uh, solving a localized problem. So this is where in terms of, it's just that, it's not that we, I think it's just a matter of focusing on, on, on what do we need to do? Because we've got great companies, yeah? And I think some of them are actually in Endeavor. They, they, are, they, are, they, are, they want to grow big. They want to solve logistics issues. They want, to show, uh, they want to solve education issues. And I mean, these are some of the currently in endeavor right now. Yeah, I think we can do it. It's just a matter of when, when we discuss, we just need to frame that sense. So which one comes first, the chicken or the egg? Because, I mean, money will come where the opportunities are. And Taufik, you talked about how we've only got a ratio of 30% private sector funding. Then that, that, there's definitely something there. What, where are the clues? Why is the ratio not higher? Um, so... Because, you know, I, I represent Progena Capital, so my question is all about cap, capital uh, availability and access. But risk-taking is, is not just investors' job. So I just want to recap again. What is the government's um, initiative on how to solve this structural problem? We want to have a venture market, have a intermediaries, have a better intermediation process, moving, you know, savings, capital, to productive investment to support innovations and, and fast-growing startups. So that is government's structural intervention. We need to have more private sector participation. 
So the policy tools is uh, matching commitment from the government, thinking that we can co-invest with the private sectors, hoping that you know we can diversify the risk and also bring down the risk, hopefully, uh, to their investment. But risk-taking, you are asking the supply side to sub one just now. And sorry, and I know I'm just going to give my 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 um, two cents of uh, views. This country needs to have an honest conversation. This industry, this ecosystem. Um, you mentioned about, you know, uh, trying to solve the global problem. Our our entrepreneurs. We have a good talent here. We have good entrepreneurs. But, you know, why do we need to produce many more platform businesses of a market that is 33 million people? When we have competitive advantage in other areas, we are focusing so much on digital economy, but don't forget we have a bigger economy, which is green economy, the agriculture, the um, energy that are ripe for innovations, that are ripe for disruptions. And we haven't, we haven't actually explored that area yet. So I'm actually... You know, encouraging or, 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 or you know, throwing this challenge to, to our entrepreneurs to actually solve a bigger problem. That means a lot to the country, to the society that closer, to the regions, right? So that is about risk-taking. Don't just have a validation of time zone. Uh, it works in, it works a buy now, pay later in Europe. It should be working in Malaysia. We love credit. You have to understand context. So risk-taking is not just on the part of the government, part of the private sectors. Entrepreneurs also have to play uh, their role. And specifically for Malaysia, I think we have a bigger problem because we have a good success story when it comes to policy intervention by government, which is NEP. So we create um, a class of a, 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 you know, a professional class for Bumiputra. We fail to actually you know, create uh, or produce uh, a class of Malay entrepreneurs. And it's not just Malays. We have uh, forget, uh, we, we, we forget about building a, a true entrepreneurial ecosystem. I mean, you know, some of us are parents in the room, so you better ask, are you okay with your kids, you know, undertaking entrepreneurial ventures? I've got some industry friend here who has been in the capital market and fund management for 20, 30 years and decided at, you know, at, um, at, uh, Rival golden age to 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 start new ventures. How many of that success story? How many of that stories have you heard in your circle? So risk taking is not just capital, and it's not just financial capital. Risk taking is bigger than that. It's actually a social capital. It's a mindset. That's a more ex uh, explosive remark than actually we might give it credit for, uh, Taufik. Um, but the way this conversation is structured is we're going to take a, a little breather at the thirty minute mark. And then have a 10-minute session where all of you can put up your hand and ask the two gentlemen anything you want, as, as controversial as you want, as speculative as you want. And uh, this is basically the, the grilling session. Lah. So let's, let's take the 30-minute mark now and start the 10-minute session where we have that, um, that uh, basically burning issue platform. So which one of you would like to ask these two gentlemen uh, a burning question? We have, of course, the commercialization expert here, and of course, the financial expert here. And the way we left it at the, at the start of this time frame was um, maybe, maybe Malaysians are not you know, thinking big enough. Yes, Regina. Someone who's willing to take the risk and be the first. Hi. Hi, gentlemen. Um, okay, it's, 
what I, I it was a really honest uh, feedback from from Taufik, especially and as well as uh, uh, Maranti. Um, I'd like to know how are we positioning ourselves within ASEAN, given the fact that you know you we talk about not dreaming big enough of not getting our ideas to be able to get to a bigger market, right? Um, 33 million versus 260 million Indonesia, right? How are we positioning ourselves to make sure that we are actually getting that pipeline, right? So from angel to all the way, and obviously Bursa is not exactly the sexiest thing as a final destination, right? So what are your observations on that? Thank you. Um, you're right. When you are, you know, a country of 33 million people, when your GDP is only about 400 million dollars, a billion dollars, you need to be focused. You're all entrepreneurs, you know, savvy investors. Some of you um, maybe have a, a few business uh, 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 ventures in the past. Knows that managing capital, capital is scarce, and managing capital is important. Similarly, for the country, we need to actually have more focus. We need to know where, we, where do we have a competitive advantage in the region. We are lucky because we are in the center of a you know, region that is neutral diplomatically. That means we, are, we can actually play both sides. Uh, you know, right in the, in, in the middle of a region that is rich with biodiversity, you know, in the middle of a two worlds, um, and we have a new world order. Uh, so many things that we should be thankful of. But we need to know what is our competitive advantage. In business terms, what is our modes, right? That is, that is, that is a big question. I can, my view is we have a few uh, areas where Malaysia enjoys um, obvious and, and to make clear competitive advantage. And we can do very well in this space. Agriculture, we used to be an uh, agriculture and commodity player. We are actually commodity superpower in the past, and to a certain extent still have our role um, in global economy. You know, um, our tins used to finance, um, um, you know, uh, British Empire, uh, First World War and Second World War. Um, we are second major uh, producers of uh, 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 palm oil or palm. Uh, we are still, uh, um, you know, a uh, carbon um, natural gas exporter, major in the region. So energy is, is a sweet spot for us. And that is just fossil fuel, right? We haven't even talked about solar-based, solar-planet-based energy. Our, every part of Malaysia is actually has, um, uh, you know, ocean front uh, borders. We have a good tidal waves that can generate electricity. We have good rivers in, in Kalimantan, in Borneo, that can actually generate energy. We have good, you know, caption of, of, of solar power on the north part of the peninsula for solar power. We have good hydro uh, potential. So these are new uh, disruptive, um, um, you know, uh, energy um, um, that we can potentially uh, uh, champion. Agriculture, like I mentioned, energy is another. Uh, and also network and logistics, because nobody can take our geography, and geography is also a natural capital, so we should harness uh, that in terms of connectivity. Um, so that is just some of the, I think, competitive advantage that Malaysia enjoy. Uh, more importantly, I think, is to ask ourselves, um, what are we good at, right? Uh, that is, you know, that is, that is a burning question. I had this conversation with Su Chuang, and I try not to get into this topic, but I think Su Chuang was expecting me to talk about capital flows. 
you know, to be so-called uh, um, um, economic superpower, you need to actually be friendly to capital, right? That's how capital finance innovations. And this is a tough question because nobody, uh, this is a tough issue because nobody wants to talk about the transaction cost of moving capital in this country. We are still, to me, paying the price of the intervention uh, after the Asian financial crisis of capital, capital, capital controls and currency pegging. So we need to know how long can we sustain this domestically driven um, um, you know, uh, investment without FDI. So th this is, I think, another part of the question. So my point is, we need to know, even if we have a competitive advantage, this competitive advantage needs to be financed. So again, hard question. So first, okay, thank you. So thanks for, you know, initially it was a bit slow in terms of getting warmed up, and then here Taufik mentioned, uh, I think it's, it's, it's again, it, my position or Maranti's position, and he asked another person in this room and say, no, that's not right, you know, this is how the position should be. But this is based on our observation. I'm trying to be more direct, as precise as I can, Regina, to you in terms of when we talk about technology, oh no, let's talk about socio-economic sectors and technologies, yeah? So um, we've used the uh, Academy Science of Malaysia, my STIE, 10 by 10 framework. So it looks at 10 socio-economic sectors and 10 technologies. And within the matrix, you try and find what are the technologies driving um, those intersections. So um, I have to agree with Topic. We, we are going to focus on agri. We should put more focus on agri. We should also put focus on health. I think without explaining further, the last two years has been a very traumatic uh, two years. Uh, and we do not want to be spending more time at home with our children, right? That sounds wrong, but those parents, you get me, right? You want to do that two years, yeah? Being cooked up, contained with your children, running around, yeah? Driving you nuts, right? I want to go back, suddenly like, I want to go back to office. <laughs> so in terms of health, agri, and one technology sector that we're looking at is drones. And you may ask in terms of why. So, and this is something I'm very passionate about, yeah? Since, um, I think, many, many years now. Because you look at drones, it's actually the technology that really helps accelerate the socio-economic sectors that we're trying to focus early on, agriculture. How do you automate? Yeah. So COVID, the two years was a great experience when we see the estates are just left as it is because we don't have the manpower yeah, to even like cut the grass. Yeah? So we're so dependent. So we need to see within in terms of how can we leverage the power of drones. And, and not only that, if you look at in terms of, you know, not many uh, in this room perhaps would know how many number of companies we have in terms of focusing on drones in Malaysia. We have about close to 200 companies. You may know the, the, big, the big fives, yeah? Or you may only know one, at least you know one, Aerodyne. Yeah, the number one drone uh, remote sensing as uh, acknowledged by the drone industry inside. What about Aeonic slash Polar Drone? Yeah, you have Overtech, you have Meraki, and you have many more as well, but their names don't get mentioned. Their involvement is into Agri. They are exploring in terms of sending medicines using drones, yeah, as in the case of Meraki. They even make the first uh, water body crossing uh, from um, Lumut to uh, Pulau Pangkok, yeah. 
So we've done all those. We have competitive advantage. And I think we also have the recognition. Yeah. And also in terms of this is where Maranti comes in and support. If you have the opportunity to visit Maranti Park one day, you'll come across this term called Area A57. Area 57. We're doubling down in terms of drones because we feel that there's one area of technology that we will see if you break the to the drone component of the payload as well as the platform, we can really scale up this all the startups SME, and SME as well involved in terms of the social economy sector there as well as technology. You're talking about cameras, you're talking about laser, yeah? you're talking about remote sensing. There's so many technology that goes into the drone. So again, trying to recap, yeah, these are the areas that we're dumping down, but we are not forgetting, for example, autonomous vehicle or electric vehicle. Yeah, For information, Maranti Park will host the fourth uh, testing site in Malaysia. We just get our you know, Surat Tiada Halangan from DBKL. So we have 12 kilometers of road in, in Maranti Park that we're dedicating for that. And also in terms of when we talk about health, our sandbox application, that the, the program that was launched in 2020, so the biggest number of application is regarding health. And this is where the biggest opportunity also lies in health. And the biggest obstacle is also in health. <laughs> yeah, when we see so many agencies within the Ministry of Health, but this is what we are trying to do. It's not about money, it's about pulling those agencies together, put them in one table and understand, okay, there's a huge economic impact here or social impact here. What does agency like Maranti needs to do? How do we work with Cradle? Yeah, how do we work with Punjana? But I, I just want to raise the bar again. Not that necessarily I agree with drone, uh, uh, but you know, uh, it's a black box, and that's why Maranti exists, and that's why I want to invite the uh, you know entrepreneurs and would-be entrepreneurs to challenge yourself. Drone next. You know, what's next for drone? You, everyone knows the bigger opportunity for drone is actually on the transportation side. And that is the black box that we need to solve, the sandbox, right? Can we commercialize everyone? Can we put a delivery through drones, you know, uh, send parcels? So th these are the things that we, we are currently exploring, just beyond agriculture. And the opportunity is bigger. The market size is bigger. So that is the next frontier for drone. But the issue here is, do we have a competitive advantage in that space? Yes, we do. We are not dense like Singapore, and we are not too porous like South Korea. So we are just sweet spot. So just Google, do some basic research. 33 million people, the size of Malaysia, the ratio is just nice. Right, so to entrepreneurs in the room and virtually, challenge issued by both Safwan and Taufik. Uh, dream bigger, dream of uh, solving global problems, and the money is there, and the, the commercialization opportunities are there. I think we've got one more, one more time for one more burning issue. Gentleman in the blue shirt. Testing, testing. Okay. Yep. Sorry, it's a bit awkward. <laughs> okay. Uh, Haris from CGSCIMB. Um, I think um, the, the focus was in terms of being an entrepreneur to solve big problems, right? And what I've been hearing is more towards the social aspect in terms of health, in terms of all the social aspect to it. But I think one thing in terms of entrepreneurs-wise today, the issue is in terms of sustaining the business. For example, like Kaudim or Happy Fresh or Karsam, for example, the first unicorn in Malaysia, letting go a lot of uh, workers. I think, um, just want to know in terms of your experience, right, what can you actually inspire 
uh, what's the problem here for these companies who are going bust because of the fact that, you know, maybe the climate is not there. Maybe Happy Fresh, for example, or Kaudim was at the moment of time seven years ago solving a problem of convenience. Of my aircon is, uh, you know, Rosa, for example. I know who to go to. They are solving a problem. But maybe it's not the big problem in terms of health or the social aspect of agriculture. But how can businesses and entrepreneurs actually sustain them? Sobat? Yeah, thank you. Aris from CGSCIMB. So I think in terms, of, in terms of the issue, if I may look at it from a different aspect, right? This is a startup, right? And the startups, they do fail, right? So we, if we accept that startups do fail, and sometimes it also takes advantage of the kind of environment that they are in right now, and once we have surpassed that, if they are still servicing, providing the same service, it's not just startups, it's like agencies as well. They become irrelevant or they are not as fast as their competitors. No matter what we do to sustain, they will close. It's just putting in maybe a bit harsh, good money chasing bad money. Yeah? I think it's just that I have accepted the fact that businesses startups, entrepreneurs, those of you who are thinking of, of you know, um, starting up startups with the hope of becoming a Sunicorn or a Unicorn. No, I'm not going to dampen your, your ambition. You should, especially if you, are, you have less obligation. Now is the time for you to make as many failures as possible. But I have a principle, uh, what you call in terms of when in my team, you can fail. You should fail. You should try and have the experience of failing. Yeah? Because you're not a good startup if you don't fail. And, and I think that this one we mentioned about the culture, there is a version of failure. Go fail. fail uh, there's also a, a slogan, fail fast. Yeah? Uh, but I think it's just that the point of, the, the, of that is, again, I won't be preaching. I don't want to preach to the startup here because... You guys probably know better than I do when it comes to failure. Yeah? But it's just that it happens. Yeah? And we want to make sure that the, the, the business, the startups, the entrepreneurs that we support can really flourish. And also, it's not the responsibility of the government, for example, agencies like us, yeah? to make sure that the startup continues to be sustainable over a long period of time. Market forces, demand and supply should dictate whether or not you are, you are required or not. If you're not required, as simple as that. Pivot, right? I'm not going to say fail. I'm not saying exit. Pivot. There's another word that we all need to know as well. Pivot. Yeah, for those of you who have been old enough, you'll see the Friends episode where Ross say, pivot, pivot, pivot. Yeah? Uh, okay, I didn't expect you to be that old. But yeah. So pivot means change your perspective, change your business offering, find the new market, find the sexiness in that, uh, in that market and start targeting those opportunities. I hope that helps, Harris. So yeah. Harry, I, just, I just want to add, if you don't mind, Suchuang, because I hope w once you know, we end this conversation, hopefully you go home with some key takeaways, right? There are things that you need to know, uh, the startup journey, Either you sell something that people do not want, so there is no 
product market fit yet, right? So that is something that you need to pivot quickly. People just do not buy your service. People just don't buy your, your, your products. There is no product market fit. But the example you gave is actually those that actually have proven to have product market fit, but that yet they fail. And this is, I think you need to know about two things, right? The, bis the structure, the structural issue, and the cyclical part. The structural here is to understand your business model, right? We still have businesses, big businesses, Unicorn, Decacorn, that are still not generating profit because of the business model. They have not yet established the economic modes for them to create the stickiness. Simple example, you mentioned Caltip. You mentioned maybe potentially you need to look at Grab, Uber. There's no economic mode. If I don't get my right, I will just move to Asia right. I'm not loyal. And there is low barriers to entry. The purchasing power is on the part of the buyers. Similarly, if I don't get a food from Grab, I'll just go to Food Panda at no cost to download those apps. So you need to know is the business model. What business model are you adopting and how you create that economic mode fast enough after you establish product market fit? Now, cyclical. And this is the issue that I think a lot of us fail to understand. You need to look at your capital structure because you finance those business from the capital structure. You know why? Because your business are all loss-making. You are still in the valley of death. How much, how quick, how adequate you raise capital? You need to ask this question. Can I last for six months? Can I last for more than six months, 12 months? You need to anticipate that capital needs. And you also need to know the instruments where you want to raise those capital because it comes with costs, which will eat up your working capital. So this is a question that entrepreneurs need to know. And I know it sounds like this is a part of MBA class, but we fail to teach this to our entrepreneurs. And sometimes you raise capital from, I don't know, people who, you know, you know, cost of equity is already high and it's small, it's subscale, it doesn't help. And you go and tapping the market every six months. If people go to CIMB and ask for rights issue every three months or six months, I think it's collapse the stock. Right? So that is a question you need to ask. When you raise, raise back, that lasts for a certain cycle. So that is a question, hard question that Harris, you need to answer. So what are the lessons that entrepreneurs need to know when it comes to raising capital? Not everybody is well-versed in the capital raising process. I mean, before they engage a consultant or before they engage a platform, what are the things that they should know, uh, um, Taufik? Yeah, again, again, you need to understand why you raise capital and what is it for uh, and from whom. Sometimes the capital is not just about money. Sometimes it's the network, market access, strategic partnership. So these are the hard questions that you need to know. So look at your balance sheet, see how you want to finance your investment and working capital, and from whom, right? So this is the question, basic questions. Every banker would have to go through that. Yeah, thank you. I mean, um, just want to segue from what Taufik has mentioned. Your journey is going to be tough for those of you who wants to be a startup. Yeah, um, but you don't have to undertake this journey alone. I think that's also the reason, one of the reasons that for Endeavor, right? As uh, was what men was mentioned, you know, high impact startups tackling, you know, basically global. Uh, similarly as well, it's you can 
work with agencies and I, I would like to 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 invite you, you to 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 try and explore working with Maranti yeah and I'm it's not a um, I'm not trying to market Maranti here yeah it's just that we understand that again as mentioned um, we have been in the market providing the the services accelerator incubator since magic days we know enough in terms of what not to do and so we know the people who is in the market that we can actually tap and actually learn from as well yeah um, we don't know everything but i think we know enough in terms of what not to do and who you can actually work with and we've seen our fair share of successes as well you know uh, and these are the ones who are really the one who knows how to network and i like to again borrow what Taufik has mentioned um, when we talk about capital here, um, don't just think about money. It is Sometimes it is in the form of what you need is more in terms of visibility. You've got a great product, but it's just need, it's not visible. You don't pitch that well. Yeah, It's okay. Nobody speaks like Steve Jobs on the first day of their pitching, right? Learn. So which is what we do as well in terms of what we provide in terms of our program is to teach you how to pitch to understand investment better, to make you investment ready. I mean, the language that you probably have heard is technology readiness level, yeah, uh, business readiness level, investment le uh, business uh, readiness level. Because what we try to do at Maranti is not just talk about technology, because technology is so dry. And I just shared with these two gentlemen up front, my, one of my, my biggest goal or my role is to inject fun in Maranti, yeah? Um, we live, you know, our life is short enough. We need to have fun. So it's just that really in terms of trying to find that, that, that ecosystem that you can leverage on, the mentors that you can leverage on, the programs that you can leverage on as well, yeah? The people with money that you can leverage on, yeah? So it's just not about resources. It's about being resourceful. So, so apropos what you're talking about, Taufik, um, it's, it, the, the entrepreneurial journey is, is one which is uh, comprising of blood, sweat, tears, pain, isolation, loneliness. It's tough. And actually, a question came in from the audience um, uh, earlier. And, and they asked, they, they wanted to ask both of you, how do you deal with the down days? Because the, the down days, when you're starting out, when, when times are tough, it can be really down. I mean, especially when your friends have got jobs, they, you know, they've got good salaries, they're being promoted, and then you're in the trenches. You know, you've got no salary, no time. Your health is suffering. You're eating Maggie Mee every day, right? How do you, you know, what advice can you give these guys in dealing with the down days? I saw the other day a, um, a comic strip, a comparison between a, a prison, a guy in a prison and a startup. So the comment was that at least the guy in prison, they get one, one hour of, of break, yeah? And three square meals a day. And as a startup, you know, um, it is tough life. But I think this is where, in terms of you know facing your down days, is, is you go back to your core, in terms of what's the reason, in terms of what triggered you to, to you know to to really kick off that startup, and I think it helps, you know, and there are there are one or two in this room which you know our down days is just spending playing board games until four a.m. in the morning, and I have some startups here as well, which we I do that with them, though I'm not a startup, but I know they're having their down days, yeah. So if I need to lose to make them feel better, I lose. <laughs> but in that board game. But I think in terms of, you know, 
look deep in terms of find in terms of that that reason, the reason for existence in terms of why you want to create that startup, and again have, give it give it a hard look, yeah. And the the and thing also about one thing helps is I'm I'm optimistic by nature, right? I always see that if I do this, I can impact lives, and that's the reason in terms of after working in DHL, I go back to the people like why, right? Why do you come back to the agency? It's because of the life that we are given the opportunity to improve. Ladies and gentlemen, no other complicated explanation. It's just simply that. Okay, uh, a, a bit of life story because I'm actually, I, I, I was suffering from mild dys, dys, dyslexia when I was a kid. So a slow starter. That's why to me, it's not about how you, you begin your journey. It's always about the progress. It's all about the race. It's all about the journey. Not not the starting point, so that's one. Um, so one thing I realized uh, when I was growing up is reading. Reading is an escapism apart from my imaginary friend. Um, but uh, uh, yeah, uh, yeah, uh, one. Uh, it's been very close to me. <laughs> uh, but anyway, coming to that, so it's a form of escapism. Uh, but I realized eventually it is actually a source of pleasure. Uh, and I remember from one of my favorite authors, I mentioned this to Adeline, not sure, um, you know, written 150 years ago, A Tale of Two Cities. Um, it's the, the best of time, is the worst of time, it's a season of light, season of darkness, you know, that famous phrase. And I realized, you know, there's two sides of a story. When it's a crisis, there's an opportunity, it is a cycle. That's how nature evolves. So. You, you need to know that. Don't take it too much on yourself. That's one. And I realized when I was um, in my first job, I remember um, having witnessed this when my ex-boss was actually scolded by the bigger boss. And the advice given to my ex-boss was, you know, in life, sometimes you need to be able to learn how to laugh at yourself. So I remember this. There are things that are not your control. Don't take it too hard. Yeah? But coming back to averting crisis or turning crisis into opportunities, this I would like to bring your attention to some of you who likes politics may remember Donald Rumsfeld. Um, he didn't achieve much, <laughs> but one thing I recall uh, uh, about him is his famous classification of risks, which is known now. You call it anything, black swath, whatever. It's very simple. Known, unknown, 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 known, known. It's all about preparations. You need to identify the risk in advance. So when you having, you know, uh, identified, you can prepare towards that. So this is a, one of the mitigations uh, um, uh, tools to avert crisis or to avert so-called catastrophic uh, outcome. So yeah, do, do simple things. Do a lot of homework. That uh, gives you a higher probability of not, you know, having stress later part. How do you prepare for something you don't know about? Because earlier, you talked about this new world order, right? That's starting to become a bit more mainstream now. This is essentially the shift in economic power from the West to the East, and it's the China-US you know, um, con conflict. Lah. How do entrepreneurs deal with this future? So, two things, uh, Su Chuang. We are in a network economy. So, there's one time where people thought that there's no black swan, but because of the, you know, knowledge, uh, dispersion of knowledge because of interaction, you discover there is a black swan somewhere in the world. So it is, the point I want to make is, I don't think, I was actually scratching my head to identify what is the unknown unknowns. 
Because what seemingly unknown unknown is actually quite a clear note. That you mentioned geopolitics, uh, uh, you know, a new world order. We talk about it in 1989. Francis Fukuyama talked about the end of history. It didn't happen. Right? And everyone talked about it. It's not. It's not going to be end of the city. We still have a two world order. We talk about this. I mean, we prepare for that. We talk about pandemic. Everyone talk about there is a potential virus pandemic. Bill Gates talk about it. They need to spend and prepare the world towards bigger pandemic, but we're still unprepared. So I'm still scratching my head to really realize what are the unknown unknown. Uh, what seemingly unknown unknown is actually known known. Clear story I shared with uh, Endeavor um, a few months back is Y2K. It's unknown, unknown. We thought it's going to collapse on the first day of the new millennium. So we prepared to, towards that. So it become a known, unknown. We prepared. No calamity. Traffic light was working. Our PC was working. Because a lot of you know, conceivable efforts have been undertaken to avert catastrophe on the first day of the new millennium. So again, I mean, just an example. There are seemingly every race that can be handled. So there's nothing we don't know, essentially. Uh, which hasn't been visited upon us in history. So I think that's a fair point. I'm going to give you guys a couple more questions and then move to the Q&A. Um, this actually came in from the audience virtually a few days ago. And it asks of both of you, what are the key sectors that investors are focusing now? Is it still B2B? Is it B2C? Is it subscriptions? Is it BNPL? What, what, what are the juiciest sectors now um, that money is flowing to? Maybe Safan, then Taufik. Um, based on the what we observe, yeah. Um, again, this is this is um, we're looking at from the social economic as well as social uh, for, from a technology perspective as well. Yeah. So, health is up up there. Yeah. Agri is up there. Um, business financial services is also there. Yeah. So we're talking about blockchain. Uh, it, it's it's there, but there are other areas that. We are also um, seeing um, good strides is like advanced material. So you know startups and, and entrepreneurs that are into uh, advanced material, be it uh, construction material, or is it you know for example you can you can have a lot of marry that with sustainability as well, yeah. So the other day we saw um, using the drone example. Uh, a pioneer using um, banana fibers to construct that into a drone platform. Again, I don't know how far this will be, but I think I definitely believe in that advanced material is an area that we should be looking into. Yeah, um, I'm saying that these are these are the the ones that I can safely say. Yeah, uh, we should be spending a lot of time there. Yeah. Uh, I want you guys to focus on a bigger economy, which is a green economy. ESG has been, you know, discussed openly. But let me put things in perspective. Environment. For environment, sustainability, you need to fix three sectors. You need to fix energy, you need to fix your food system, you need to fix your transport. Major pollutants, three. So these are the areas of opportunity. On the social space, we have done so much damage to our social environment and also physical environment in the past few years. I mean... Technology gives and takes. I'm talking about the social media. So this is also interesting space to look at on how we engage. 
I mean, people still talk about the opportunities that Web 3.0 would offer to all of us. So explore. This is a blue ocean for all of us, a new social landscape on how we interact, network, and engage with one another. So yeah, that's on the social part. On the governance part is, is yeah, it's, it's about solving that integrity is still an issue within the you know, uh, entrepreneurs ecosystems. Who faked it till you make it, you know? Yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm raising a, a, another um, a hard question. Yeah, you're referring to Adam Newman, are you? I'm just joking. You're right. Um, yeah. Uh, okay, um, let's open the floor to questions. Um, you know, obviously, you can ask the two gentlemen anything. Microphones are next to you. That object that's next to you and the thing, you can bend it and talk into it. So, yeah, raise your hands and ask the two questions, two gentlemen, your questions. And anything that's under the sun is, uh, is possible, right? Because what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. Yeah, I just wants to press the mic. Right, it's not man sharing. in the blue brown shirt, yeah. Hello, hello. Oh. So, I also have a question regarding the funds. Like, uh, just now you were mentioning there were favorable sectors that uh, funds are in, uh, looking into. So, does that mean that those that are unfavorable, uh, like funds would not put money into them, they would uh, sort of like no don't put enough uh, attention to these companies, to these startups? Well, I think it's just that about, you know, it, it's all about the, for, for an agency, we, we, we are putting money in terms of an area that we can double down because it solves a national grand challenge. Yeah? Food security is a national grand challenge. So if you ask me food tech, yeah, agri tech, it is an area that we want to focus how do you maximize the production per square foot or per square meter? Yeah, do you stack it up? Because land is gonna be a, a resource issue. Yeah, so we also have a lot of infrastructure. Um, the folks down in uh, Iskandar were, were wanting to toy in terms of, you know, how can we use this, the space that we have inside building and rooftops as well. Um, to address agri-tech issues. So I think even in those areas, yeah, it's, it's quite large. I mean, drone, because of the technology relating to the payload, relating to the platform, health, it's not just the medicine or the vaccine. It's about the last, about a month ago, we launched the Health Tech Hub initiative, uh, a collaboration between the Ministry of Science and the Ministry of Health. Yeah. So we're not just looking at vaccines per se. For example, we have quite a number of notable local companies that are producing robots um, that can ferry medicine uh, from one ward to the other ward. Yeah? I mean, those are interesting stuff because a lot of the nurses, if you look at them, they, it seems that they are working in a very okay kind of environment, right? Yeah, walk in their shoes empty the bedpans, drain out the urine bag, try that. And you suddenly see that, hey, there's good opportunities there. They're wasting a lot of time doing that. And it's dirty. It's potentially harmful. And it's also demeaning as well. So when we talk about health tech, it goes to that area as well. Yeah. So it is sufficiently big to me. Uh, if, if I look at, if it's just focusing on agri, health yeah, and drones. There's a lot of things that we can, we can actually look at. 
that doesn't mean that we will not, the government won't fund. It's that you've got to find the right agency. One thing that, you know, we would like to have this culture within the government is that it's no wrong door policy. You know, if I don't have the answer, perhaps my sibling in most years have such facilities or intervention to assist you. But it's just that it takes that courage to come and talk to us. And also, sometimes, yeah, literally there's nothing much that we can do. You have to accept that as well. But we will try. Early stage, later stage. Early stage, you know, finding that product market fit, right? So to answer your question, you really need to understand the problem you're solving. Is there a ready demand for that services or solutions or products that you have in mind? I mean, case in point, healthcare, right? Healthcare. Don't just copy whatever you have in the US and thinking that it might work in Malaysia. We still have a problem that is very foundational. Um, you know, if you've been, go. I mean, have an open mind, go to the ground. That's how you understand the, the pulse of the market and, and the populations. We still have a problem in terms of archiving that medical records. Before you talk about connecting people to service providers, basic record is not digitalized yet. It's still analog. So we still have problems for the government, which is a major, major customer for the healthcare service in Malaysia. So how do you solve government's problem? So you need to understand the customer you will be selling to, whether there is a solution to their problem. I mean, just, I give an example. So you need to digitalize that, very simple. I mean, I had the, the, the opportunity to go on the ground during pandemic, where I was actually um, discover this um, case where this old man had to go to another district because there is not pref uh, you know, enough uh, uh, medical supply for him. He has been going to the same hospital monthly. It's just that they didn't stock up. Why? Because there is no proper inventory management system. It's still analog. That's a problem that needs to be solved. It really matters to the government, right? I mean, if you're selling to the government. So you need to know your client, need to know the solutions you are. So that is early stage product market fit. But after that, you need to realize about how to scale up, right? And this is where VC, you mentioned sector specific, yes. But actually, to be honest with you, they just like a business that is less capital, in less capital intensive, it's not geared. They are also, they're talking about their risk, uh, risk takers, but actually they are look also looking for investment that is less of a risk to their investors. So here you need to know how you want to make sure that you can actually you know, reduce your operating or increase or improve your operating leverage and also make sure that you have enough income and also debt uh, gearing to service whatever capital you raise. So here, that's, that's business model. Have, have a real serious thought about, about that. Thank you for the answer. Hi. Uh, hi, my name is Brian. I'm from uh, Firefighter Industry. We are a 48-year-old company, so pretty old. Um, since you mentioned, um, question anything under the sun, so I have a question under the sun. Um, basically, just writing off what Paris uh, mentioning about sustainability. So my, my question is, um, what is being done and is enough being done to sustain um, older businesses? Because... Uh, Yes, we're always talking about startups, new companies, entrepreneurs, but what about these companies that found success maybe 40, 50 years ago? Um, there is a problem as well as sustainability of these companies, right? Sometimes they fail to innovate. 
And a lot of times it's because they're too big to fail. But my question to you is, what is being done and is enough being done? Thank you. I think for sustainability, the clear difference between now and 2000, 20 years ago, is that the government's commitment towards driving change. And it's very much institutionalized, the commitment through COP27. So you see that, right? Famous case is John Doe in Kleiner Perkins. Why Kleiner Perkins fell from tier one BC to become tier two? Because he bet heavily on clean tech. He invests in every single electric vehicles in the US except Tesla, right? And every single investment in that space failed, right? But he was the one who spot the need for clean tech. He even recruited Al Gore to join Kleiner Perkins. But it's too early. So this is where you come too early into the market, right? But now it's different because, again, we have government support, we have institutional support, and the commitment is real. So we have somehow removed some of the barriers to market within that sustainability, in particular clean tech or, or uh, environment in this case. Uh, another point uh, I think I want to um, bring up is this. I, I think, again, this is very speculative. Oh, when I was growing up, I read this, right? It's close to Armageddon, it's close to the end of the world when people turn religious, you know, stuff like that. Um, and, and, and like it or not, because of generation, generational shift, we realize uh, there's something wrong about our system, okay? I mean, if you read Neil Ferguson, Neil Ferguson right? Uh, six killer apps, which is the operating system, but he just call it killer apps. He is very much influenced by the reading of, uh, you know, Adam Smith. Institutions and ideas, that separate civilizations, that according to Adam Smith, 1774, Wealth of Nations. So he came out with six, among others, competition, modern medicine, science, um, consumerism, work ethics, and rule of law, which is rooted in the property rights, John Law. Incentivize people to accumulate wealth. That's drive civilization. Okay, but the center of it is consumerism and capitalism. That's where I'm trying to get at. But people realize that the capitalism model that we have is not working. And this is five secular forces, in my view, um, that you need to be mindful of. We are moving from this inflation environment to inflation environment. So much monetary just, uh, liquidity uh, injected into the system. So we are paying the price, slightly slow, but we're moving towards inflation environment. Number two, because we have monetary excesses, now the balance moves towards fiscal excesses, right? Three, what's the issue? Because of unbalanced globalization, we focus towards more isolations. And this is important context because why? because we realize capitalist is not working, market-driven capitalism is not working. We want to go back to stakeholder capitalism and populism. And eventually, we realize the growth that we want is not of unequal growth, but inclusive. And this is real, because generational shift. We have seen how capitalism move, right? And if you read, you know, creative destruction, if you read, uh, I can't remember the economist, but the point is capitalism is the biggest enemy to itself, right? So that is, we are at that pivotal point where capitalism is transformed. So we're moving towards more sustainability stakeholder capitalism. That's fantastic. Um, yeah, and for a 48 year old company, I mean, we can think of, I mean, don't forget that Apple and Microsoft and IBM are probably older than that. So, and you know, obviously Microsoft is $1.5 trillion, Apple is 2.2 and they're continuing to break new ground. Uh, any more questions from the floor? Just, just wanted oh, to. Someone? yeah, go on Just then. wanted to share. Um, those of you who may know Brian would also know that he is the chairman for the uh, FMM SMI Youth. What was it? Yeah. 
Federation of Malaysian Manufacturers, yeah. Correct. And I think I, 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 when I study the question, I understand in terms of, um, there's a story in terms of you know, how I met Brian. In fact, if you don't mind, Brian, I'm going to embarrass you a bit. Yeah? I met these two, I met this couple, yeah? probably about, um, I don't know, seven years, ago, seven years ago. Yeah, One by the name of Jeffrey, another one by the name of Michelle. And um, I was introduced to the, the business that they, they are growing, which is in the fire extinguisher business, firefighter. So I was talking to Jeffrey. Jeffrey was so, you know, um, excited, you know, how to embrace technology, you know, pulled Michelle as well and say, Michelle, come listen to this guy, yeah? And they were talking about transformation of firefighter, yeah? And I really don't know how to assist them, but lucky is just that we look at the the... They brought Brian back from the US, yeah? And he's now the chief innovation for firefighter. And I think for SMEs, first of all, they need to have the realization in terms of wanting to transform, wanting to harness the power of digital, wanting to take uh, opportunity because he can't do this job alone if the Jeffrey and Michelle are not bought into his idea. Similarly, yeah, as well, I think that majority of the SMEs are like that. Yeah? The business works, right? Why do you want to rock the boat? Yeah? So if, let's say, you want to introduce digital technology, I think it's about understanding in terms of what the uncaptured opportunities, yeah? Or the opportunity costs, if they were to continue like that. I think the conversation is different than how we need to engage. If I were to take the agency in terms of responsible, in terms of the transformation of SME, the language needs to be slightly tailored to, it's not that they don't want to change. One thing they fear is losing the market. That is quite sure, market share. But it's just that how we engage has to be different. So I think in terms of, we won't talk about the SMEs, I probably we need to have a, sort of like a different session with FMM, trying to see how do we want to tackle the old guards. Yeah, um, I mean, why would Lim Wee Chai change top glove? I mean, it's profitable making you know rubber gloves, right? It's not the most technologically advanced business in the world, but he makes one of every one of every form. Um, and life is good. Why should why should he innovate, right? Um, so conceptually, I think owners want to change, but uh, maybe uh, to put into practice different matter lah. Any other questions from the floor, gentlemen in the white shirt? Yeah, yeah, uh, cool. Thank you. Uh, I want to ask a little bit of a question on the availability of funding and attracting additional funding into the ecosystem. So you mentioned, Taufik, the... Can you introduce yourself? Yeah, sorry, sorry. Uh, my, my name's Kevin. I'm with Indelible Ventures, a foreign VC that is focused on Malaysia. Um, so you mentioned the 15 billion of PE. I imagine that the vast majority of that is more PE, which is more similar to public markets in the way that it's focused on more mature businesses and so forth. Very little actually sits towards the VC funding the early innovations. And so you also mentioned that the majority of the capital is uh, government-related and that there's a need to catalyze the additional capital. There's also going to be a need in order to attract more capital from abroad into, into the market. So I'm curious, when you look at tackling that, because I can tell you from firsthand experience that coming into Malaysia is very, very difficult to establish a presence. So when you look at trying to catalyze that capital, aside from you know, doing more agencies, doing more that, which is kind of crowding out as opposed to uh, attracting in, 
what are the mechanisms to actually get foreign capital interest? Because currently it's just sitting in other markets. Thank you, Kevin, for that question. Um, popular, popular solutions or proposed solution would be we need to improve profiling, branding, which is, you know, need to be done, right? Because people need to know the opportunity sets available here so that the money will, will chase after these opportunities. But that's one side of the story. That capital not only find its destination, but also need to be facilitated in terms of flows. And we have huge transaction costs in this country. Capital comes here, whether it can go out, whether you raise capital here, can it go out? It's all transaction costs. And that leads to higher cost of capital in this country, which make us not competitive relative to our peers in the region. So that capital flows, the transaction costs of these capital flows need to be addressed. So profiling branding to show the opportunity set, but also improve on the capital flows. That is the solution needed to attract those FDI to come back to their country. That's one. Number two, the difference between Malaysia in 1990s and Malaysia now is that we have so much risk-taking activities then than now. So these risk-taking activities, risk so-called um, um, attitude towards risk is important, right? Because return comes with risk and, and return comes because of risk also. So that needs to be back. The excitement needs to be back in the market. And um, yeah, and that's a function of risk-taking. Can I, can I ask, because the, you, you touched on the one thing of the branding at the, at, the, at the very beginning of it, and I think that there is a big branding problem out there, but there's not enough awareness. I mean, you know, there are a lot of Malaysian entrepreneurs that are, that are solving big problems. There's lots of them. Uh, but you don't ever read about them in Tech in Asia or any of the local publications. Tech in Asia is basically a Singapore and Indonesia publication. Very rarely do you see otherwise. So how do you elevate those? in order to get more awareness in the region, outside of the region, where the uh, familiarity with venture capital is stronger and get them coming out. Because generally they go high population market, they go Singapore and assume, hey, I can touch everything from there. Well, um, I think just drawing the experience that, um, or the program that I ran in MDEC, yeah? Um, the program was called Global Acceleration Innovation Network, or GAIN in short. And I'm responsible for visibility. And um, we approached that in, in putting it into four quadrants. I mean, the visibility, it's, uh, it's all on, start with on. So on paper, online, on air, on stage. Um, it's quite simple, quite straightforward. I mean, Aerodyne was the first, I say, guinea pig, yeah? Um, because we look in terms of definitely all the startups requires visibility, but it's just that we also looked at the capability of the founder to see where we can position them best. We work at that point in time with um, DNA, yeah, among others, yeah, uh, business, I can't remember, a few, a few other, it's been quite a while. so. Even Vulcan, Vulcan Post as well. Uh, just to, because of the intention of, of pushing their visibility, right? Those who can't speak, I mean, can't speak well, yeah? So we put them on paper first. So which means I have a team of writers that writes, you know, articles about them. And then we'll push that online. 
and then if the and then at the same time we provide them this necessary capability development skill so that they are then gain a lot more confidence and fluency to go on stage as well as on air yeah so those are some of the things that is done but i also have to say that at that point in time the engaging the the startups i don't feel that they receive, they feel that it's important <laughs> we we try we we have we even approach scale ups and we would pair them up with people who can write for them they don't just want to pay for it say m that can you pay for it hey this is for your own visibility right i can help you but i think the first time second third fourth it's got to be on your own cost right this is marketing cost i mean this is also in terms of looking at how the government what the government can do um of course we help elevate some of the companies that is currently with indelible ventures as well um brand cloud yeah work very close with arif well uh i can't put arif at that point in time on stage yet yeah if you understand what i mean but we can definitely put them on paper and online but i'm happy to see him now he can speak better we also work with uh, midwest i think a company that you also and i love sidu and what he tries to do that guy speaks well right you know him well i think that the area that he's in as well is also super 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 interesting and we want to help midwest composite in terms of raising the visibility and that can be done by adding another sort of like maranti can can help in terms of promote in our circles as well so i say yeah sometimes you know you don't see them in papers that doesn't mean that there's no visibility is just that for us we are not in the ANP we are not responsible for the startups ANP you know but we do help them in terms of raising their visibility in the right circles so uh my my proposed solution would be very simple for the government uh we have many uh or a few agencies EDB like EDB equivalent but they need to have the right stories to tell and the right people to tell who understand what they are telling or what they're marketing about right and you know so my point is we need to spend profiling branding like edb's approach that's the government for the vcs our vcs need to actually expand its network most of the deal sourcing uh some of the deals we've seen good mega deals in indonesia supported by foreign vcs silicon valley is because they rely on local vcs for deal sourcing so you need to have that expand for example excel rely on ec ventures to find a good spot in uh, good opportunities in Indonesia so the local vcs actually take the early stage investment supported by excel supported by silicon valley series b onwards so we need to have that strategy our vcs need to expand its network beyond these borders um for the startup community success breeds success so we need to celebrate um the success of our fellow entrepreneurs because that brings visibility that money returns can be made from this market. I think we've got time for one or two more questions from the audience, gentlemen. Hi, I'm Zikri. I run an accommodation business uh called Myre Hat. So I'm just wondering is there like a platform that entrepreneurs can go to if they have issues or certain uh basically just to talk. Also um well basically I'm facing like a not say a situation but basically you know in Malaysia it's quite easy to do small bad things so in the accommodation business one of the issues is like electricity usage 
So now I've come to the uh, found out that there are many players out there who kind of like, you know, you just uh, find somebody in TNB and they can rejig your electricity usage. So for example, if you pay 800 ringgit a month, they can make it 200. So it's more like, um, how do you, I mean, I'm still thinking about it, whether I want to do it or not, because, <laughs> because it's uh, easy to get away with because it's, I have 30 units, so other people have been doing it for years and they don't get caught. So it's just things like this entrepreneur's face. Is there a platform or somebody just to trash out so you don't, so these thoughts don't? Because it's already the third day, I'm still thinking about it. Because you know, it could save like 10 to 15% of your cost. All right, that's it. Who wants to take that? We have many agencies in this country, yeah. so I'm pretty sure they are open to uh, entrepreneurs like you. Um, in the supply side, uh, entrepreneurs, um, agencies like Cradle, Moranti, these are the agencies that you should talk to. On the funding side, in terms of demand for capital, it comes from agencies like Punjani Capital, MEFCAP, among others. But let me tell you one thing, right? Network is not built like a plantation. It's, it's not linear. Network is, you know, a complex web. So you guys thrive if you have your own community yourself. Don't expect the government to create a platform for you to network. That's my point. Even though the government has enough platforms in this country for you to reach out to. But for you as a startup community, network is built like a complex web. And that's where the power of network multiplies. Metcalf rule. Network to the power of two. Sorry. I don't know whether I'm talking gibberish. Again, I'm still suffering from dyslexia. I don't usually talk more than this. There's no power more powerful than the power of Matt Kelt's law, networking. Um, I'm afraid we've run out of time, gentlemen and ladies. Um, thank you, uh, both of you, uh, Safwan and uh, Taufik. Huge honour, huge privilege to have both of you on at the same time. And I'm sure you'll be amenable to questions you know, offline with, uh, at the Makan place later. So all of you, thank you for coming. And uh, it was a great pleasure. Back to you, Hamiza. Thank you.